hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, uh, the governor was on with us at 2 o'clock today, uh, sitting down with me for a half hour, talking about the refugee resettlement issue, and uh, answered all the questions that I asked of him, was straight up about it, Thought uh, I thought it was a good half hour, personally, and uh, good to have him here in the studio. As I've always said, I know there's a lot of people don't like the governor, but I will say this: it's much better to have a Republican in the in the uh, the governor's office than any of the best Democrats that you could put in there. That's just the way I feel about it. I just, I mean, you look at the difference in the in the uh, uh, platforms of the two parties, and if you believe in life, and you, I think if you believe in liberty, you believe Republican, just the way it is. But uh, he answered all the questions. I know some people wish that I would yell at him. I never yell. Look, I don't yell at governors or elected officials. They, they're elected officials because the people voted them into office, so I don't yell at them. I might yell at them uh, if they're not in the studio with me. But if they're sitting here, it's not for me to yell at them. It's me to ask questions, and I do, and do it in a, uh, a reasonable way. It's just like if President Trump was here, as much as I like the man, he still ticks me off with some things that he does. All right, I mean mm-hmm. to be honest, and uh, but if he was here, treat him just the way I did Reagan when I sat in the Oval Office with him. Well, I'm sitting here today with my best friend, and uh, we argue all the time. Oh yeah, I mean we and we differ on some issues. Believe it or not, it's probably not to most people they consider them relatively trivial, but to us they're pretty important. But you know that that doesn't mean I don't have the utmost respect for him and his opinion. Sometimes he's even right. Now let me let me Sometimes. be let me be honest. Right. One time, Governor uh, Beebe came on mm-hmm. early on, and then he never came back. <laughs> and I asked him tough questions res- respectfully. He didn't like answering them, but he did, and uh, he never came back. But that's just the way it was. I mean, gov- uh, Governor. Yeah, Governor Huckabee, he came on several times, but he and I did not see eye to eye most of the time politically. So kind of interesting. But Mark, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Glad State Representative Mark Lowry is in the studio now. So let me just start off with you since you, this is your hour, basically. Let me just ask you what you think of what you say you heard that interview. What are your thoughts about what the governor said about the refugee resettlement program? Well, I think the main up upshot of, of all the discussion of that interview and also your discussion with Senator Johnson was that there there should have been prior notice to legislators. <clears throat> um, I, I did ask for an appointment with the governor's office uh, right after Christmas just to get uh, updated on the refugee, refugee issue and mm-hmm. also the, the governor coming out saying that he would favor 
hate crimes legislation. I, I wanted to get information on the refugee issue. Uh, and, and I will say, uh, I, I did not get any phone calls or any messages or anything about that. However, we should be notified uh, on, an, on a critical issue like that ahead of time so that we're not caught unaware, so we have uh, the proper answers. And uh, just like the Senate, uh, the description that Senator Johnson has, we, ha- we have a mechanism for being able for the speaker or for caucus leaders to contact members uh, both through either uh, using whips uh, to do text messaging or email, and uh, that should have been done. Um, I, you know, I trust uh, the governor in his process. Uh, certainly, I trust President Trump and what his administration's done in terms of the vetting. I, but I would say this: uh, I went back and looked at uh, all the information about that executive order. Governors had until January. I believe January 20th or 21st to notify the Trump administration that they uh, would not accept refugees or that they would their final determination. So I don't see any reason that this announcement needed to be made December 23rd, mm-hmm. especially if members were not going to be notified, uh, could have waited until January 21st. Then legislators, I mean, we're going to be up at the Capitol uh, next week, two major committees, education committee, public health committee. Uh, for two days. And so there's a lot of legislators that would already be up there, you know, just catch us in the hall, but not to mention the other means that we have of communication, which would be email, phone calls, as such. And and there are phone trees. You know, you can call a, a deputy a whip or a whip in the House, and they have a certain number of legislators that they're responsible for notifying. And that process should have been used. Okay. So I guess... Uh Biggest question is, the governor said, and very clearly, because I went back and re-asked him again to clarify, that he says that he let uh, the pro tem know, and he let the Speaker of the House know. Now, I asked uh, Senator Johnson, I'll ask you as representative, uh, uh, does it bother you that the Speaker, Matthews, didn't get a hold of you all? Well, Speaker Shepard is uh, very responsive um, and usually very proactive in communicating with us. And I don't know if it was the timing of being right around Christmas. Uh, Again, I kind of lay the blame at uh, the feet of the executive branch uh, for feeling like they needed to make this announcement right before Christmas. I think for them it was all about optics about being, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that got in the way of proper transparency and letting the legislators know ahead of time. Um, I think uh, the limited number of refugees, the limitation of what countries they would be coming from, knowing that there has been proper vetting, I, I don't know that we have a huge concern, especially if we are talking about 60, 70. Uh, the main issue is the process and how it was done to to notify us. I know it was an executive branch decision, but the legislators uh, should have been informed. Now, it just seems to me, I know that it was the governor's decision. I mean, the executive order says that it's up to the governor is what it says. Uh, however, if you're the governor, I think that you say, well, the elected representatives of the people have the right to know so they can let their constituents know. 
And uh, I didn't think that that was that was carried out, although he said that on other issues, it was the same way. He would contact, you know, the pro tem or contact the speaker. And then it was up to them to contact you all. Sure. It, and not, I think that that's the appropriate channel. Right. Uh, but something happened in terms of the mix of getting the word out. And it could have been the timing, which. Again, the executive branch should have taken that into consideration as well. Is this a good time to make this announcement? Yeah, it's Christmas Eve. People Eve. are distracted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And, and another thing about that, that Dave, that I'll jump in just briefly on it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 president is not picking governors; he's turning it to the states. Correct. And our chief executive is the governor. That's right. But it was really a state by state. Yeah, it's a Tenth Amendment thing. Exactly, and he's honoring that, and I appreciate the fact that he's honoring that. And uh, but once again, as as you know, I said I I represent uh, you know ninety to one hundred thousand people, and uh, they're they're the ones that are contacting me. You know, the truth can needs is important, and the lie can get around the the world before the truth gets up in the morning and gets its pants on. And we had a little bit of this in this case, and it would have saved a lot of, mm-hmm. of uh, embarrassment and, and problems. And even you know, the, the governor even needing to come on your show, if it had been handled a little bit smoother, it probably would have avoided. But once again, uh, I'm not 100% for everything that he said was going on because I worry. There's, there's some you know loose ends, and as I said, to come to this country, there are people out there that would say, well, I'm from the planet Vulcan. They thought it would get them in the country. So, And I don't deny that. I, I really don't. I don't deny that at all. Uh, so did you get your refugee resettlement paper that the governor sent out? Did they send out that to everybody? I, I did not get that, but I did see it online. Okay. You know, we, yeah, we all saw it, it on, on my, social media, didn't you know, we? we? Yeah, right. we posted it on my Facebook page, <laughs> the, the, the and I fact, got it. The fact sheet. Yes. Yeah, right. We I did, did that. I did see that in the last couple of days. It, I think that came out. In and it email. does bother me that we do not know right now where they're coming from. I mean, it may, you know, the way that they've, they did this is it says historically, all right? Well, that doesn't mean now. All right, that the refugees come from African nations in conflict or war. Few places like Iraq or Afghanistan, which have individuals who are at risk because of cooperation with the U.S. or because of persecution. Uh, okay, I go along with the, all of that, but that's historically. That does not, nece- you know, necess- uh, necess- necessarily uh, say to us that. Uh, it's going to continue that. Well, way. I think we'll, that let the, the, we'll let the professor here talk about parsing words. Well, he knows how they do that. Yeah, and I listened very carefully the, to the, the discussion in the uh, thirty minutes the governor's with you, where he was saying, "Well, it could be somebody who has worked with American That's troops. Correct. It could be. It could be. Well, those are nice justifications, but it, it could also be that none of those cases apply. No, that's what I'm saying. You say historically, <clears throat> right. that does not necessarily reflect of what's happening right. this time. But the comfort that I have is that this has been dramatically reduced from when it took place in the Obama administration. Yes, 110,000 Obama, 18,000 Trump. Right, and I think that there also is still in place a specific ban of refugees coming from certain nations. I think that is still in place. Yeah, Syrian. Syrian, right. Definitely. Um, so 
it would it would be nice to have more specificity. I think, especially in light of what happened in Pensacola, uh, where we had a friendly mm-hmm. supposedly uh, being trained by the you know, and I don't I I just don't understand how you know we allow those kinds of things to even happen. But that should have given any of the governors, not just the Arkansas governor, but any governor, pause to take the extra month that the governor had before they had to make their final decision or their final announcement to the Trump administration. Um, because we are seeing, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more of these situations there. I mean, they're isolated, but who's to say that that isolated situation can't happen in the state of Arkansas as well? I will. I am happy that again, and I mentioned this with uh, Senator Johnson, that they are going to have it set up that if anything happens with one of these refugees where they break the law or whatever, it's going to be reported and it's going to be tracked. I think that is, yeah, for the year that that uh, this is in 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 uh, in vogue. So, I mean, I I think that's a good thing. You know, if, if you're going to let people in, you need to know what they're doing. Are they positive? You know, are they positive additions to our community or not? So I'm good at that. All right, take a fast break. We'll come back. We got State Representative uh, Mark Lowry here, State Senator Mark Johnson. When Dave, I'm going to go on. You're going to take off. So okay. thank you again, and keep up the great work. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. We'll, we'll be talking to you a lot you more. And uh, we'll come back, and we're going to talk with the representative about hate crime legislation when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue with uh, State Representative. Mark Lowry, who continue to be with us until 5 o'clock. Again, at 5 o'clock after the news, uh, a repeat of Governor Asa Hutchinson and his half hour with us talking about the refugee uh, resettlement program so that you can hear what the governor had to say about it. I thought it was a good half hour. I thought it was informative and uh, hope that you'll stick around and listen to that. And, of course, I'm going to keep reminding you that 101.1 FM uh, the answer is now the home of, uh, or should I say, the home of uh, Rush Limbaugh. And Rush will be back in uh, his seat in front of the golden microphone, EIB microphone, on Monday. Yeah, keep congratulations that on that. That's great. I'm and glad his to fill-ins are, I listen to Mark Stein. He's very good. Filling in, and he's really good. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, enjoy uh, the Limbaugh show before, or program, not the show. It is a program. And uh, we're uh, going to have him here uh, now from now on. This is his home now yeah. here in Little Rock. That's a good thing. That is good. All right. With that said, let's go back. To, you know, the governor has kind of kind of uh, got himself going on a couple of things. And this refugee resettlement issue is only one and maybe not even the biggest one. I think the bigger one is the hate crimes legislation because that has, I believe, a much more direct impact on every person that's listening to this show right now that's from the state of Arkansas than what the re- the refugee resettlement uh, does. Uh, what do you think? Is that Do you think that's true? Is it, do you think that the, the whole hate crime legislation is really, uh, that's really serious. I just think it's so much serious than people think. Well, I think it is. And uh, I think uh, the thing that really concerns me as a legislator is that, and I understand the executive branch, the governor, you know, has a bully pulpit, uh, uses opportunities to, you know, talk about legislation that he would like to see the legislature take up. 
Uh, but this is one that really greatly concerns me, and it's actually the the main issue that I asked to to speak to one of the uh, staff members in the governor's office just to get more background on it. Uh, their argument, uh, the argument that they laid out for me, is that uh, you know Arkansas is really rounding the corner on being a magnet for for uh, employment for industry to come in and that this is something that hinders their ability to recruit some industry. That so this we, sounds like a whole riffraff thing all over well, again. Well, yeah, it does. And it's very that's very concerning, disconcerting to me. As I, as I mentioned uh, when Mark was here, you know, that is a very dangerous weapon to put in the hands of uh, some in the judi- judicial branch. Um, we run into situations all the time when audits come up showing theft in schools, municipalities, and they get referred to prosecutors, and the prosecutors choose to not charge because maybe the person's well-placed in the community or whatever. And so there's far too much discretion uh, to elected prosecutors Mm -hmm. to give them this kind of a weapon where they can choose that, in the example that, that we were talking about, that they can go after someone with enhanced penalties because they burn a gay rights flag, but they won't use those same enhanced penalties to go after someone who burns a Christian flag or burns the U.S. flag. And uh, I think, you know, my attitude always about this is a crime is a crime. Well, yeah, and the, and mean, the only thing that you, can you have when you kill somebody? Well, and the only thing you need to know, there obviously there are other crimes that would uh, come under hate crimes, but the main thing you need to know of what is going on in a person's mind, especially if it comes to murder, uh, would be premeditation. Beyond that, it shouldn't matter what is inside their head. They committed a crime. Do you have the evidence? Prosecute them. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't care what a person's thinking about when they commit the crime. They committed the crime. Period. Pretty simple, if you ask me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know... I guess some people could have more comfort if they knew that the application of this would go both ways. For instance, the the video I've seen uh, of a young man being beat up on a school bus because he was wearing a Make America Great Again mm-hmm. hat. Okay. Right. Uh, I don't know if charges were brought about against the multiple juveniles that were beating up on him, but if hate crimes legislation was pl- uh, applied fairly, that would be a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I would dare to say that, you know, depending on which part of the state that you're in and who the prosecutor is, you're not going to get those enhanced penalties. So until the application is done uniformly, we're not we're not ready for something like that. I was I'm not sure what the name of the person was. Jake Tapper. That's who it was. Jake Tapper asked a question just last week. He said, would they have covered the story about. The uh, the Jewish grocery store in New York, or it wasn't in New Jersey, New Jersey, that had been attacked by the uh, the 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 black uh, uh, Jewish group. If it had been a white supremacist group, oh, would, sure. they, would they have covered it differently? And the answer to that is absolutely oh, it, yes. It, it would be the it would be the a, in the A block. It'd still be going right now. Absolutely, I can tell you that. Yeah, and. Uh, that's a legitimate question to ask the media, and and it's a legitimate question to ask anybody because that plays into all of this. Yeah, 
And let me say something about the justification that the governor's office has, has used on this. You know, we've done a great deal to make Arkansas a magnet for industry. Yes. And that's a good thing. We're below the national average, I believe, on unemployment. Uh, we've really taken a great initiative on career career education, tax incentives, and they're working. And we should let them work uh, and not look at something that w- might actually season the soup a little bit. You know, it might help in this situation. And, and it is driven by certain companies that have more of a liberal bent political philosophy. Um so, I, you know, I just I don't know that I fully accept that justification for hate crimes legislation. We'll talk further with Mark Lowry when we come back. Welcome back. It's Dave Ellswick's show. And uh, State Representative Mark Lowry is with us. And we've been talking about the refugee resettlement. We've been talking about hate crime legislation. Those are two big issues that have just come up here in the last uh what, month, month and a week. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's been pretty, month, pretty yeah. close to, to the two. I, 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 I said two of the things that I, two issues that I think that the governor could bring up that would cause people to really question what's going on would be those two issues. Right. And they've honest. actually happened probably in the last two and a half weeks. Yes. Yeah. It's been close. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, the, the first one, uh, the refugee resettlement, uh, that's, that's not a good thing for a lot of people. They've got a lot of issues with it, and I think it goes back just like what Mark Johnson said. It goes all the way back to the 80s when they brought Cuban ref, uh, Cuban refugees in. But the the other thing is, is in, in serious, uh, people are, they see what happened in Europe. They, they see the news. They know what's going on. The last thing they want is that kind of an issue in their own communities. However, You've got more control over it than the European nations did because they just they just let them come on in. Some yeah, of them, some right. now I'm going to tell you, some stopped them. Was it Czechoslovakia that built big fence and wouldn't let them come in into their country? Uh, I don't know, I but I'm, about I'm that. sure that there are some that they stopped certainly them. bowed up. Yeah, and there's others yeah. that didn't, and now they wish they had. Right. So, but we're not dealing with that many. Thank goodness. You know, maybe as many as 70, my biggest concern is that they can come and then they can leave and go wherever they want to. And if you're going to bring somebody in and be a free person, you got to do that. Right. But still, uh, with, as you were talking about, what happened down in Pensacola, as Mark Johnson talked about, what happened down in Colleen, Texas. Right. I mean, it gives you pause. And how well can you vet people that, there really isn't a whole lot of information about them. Right. You know, it's not like they're filling out a lot of applications and things of that nature. And I guess if you can find a a Facebook page that has anti-American screeds about them, uh, somebody you don't want to let come in. Right. Uh, We're probably, the, the Trump administration is probably being able to do more than, previous because you're only talking about 18,000 yeah. as opposed to what 110,000 110, under the Obama administration. So there at least is that availability, but you know, and he I, wants to cut it further, right? Yeah. Yeah. He wants to make it even smaller, which I don't have any problem with. It's just like when we were talking, uh, uh Mark uh, earlier and, and that is, uh, people, a lot of people say, 
people have a right to come to the United States. No, they have a right to ask to come to the United States. We have the right to tell them no. Correct. Or to tell them yes. Right. They don't have that right. Right. And my understanding is that these 70 or whatever the estimated number is, you know, they're going through the legal process of, of applying for refugee status uh, so I'm they're sure doing it face to face interviews. It, that's right. Uh, but even the face to face, it's not being done while they're hooked up to a lie detector. No. So whatever they tell you, unless you have some ability to be able to, uh, you're taking it you know, at face value. They exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 there's a, there's cons and there's pros. All right, like I've said on the earlier in the show, if these people are Jesus followers. And they're being persecuted for their faith. More than happy, you know. I I would like to see my church bring those people here. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, that's the whole. That's the idea of refugee status. You know, and that is also the church getting getting outside of its four walls and doing what they're supposed to do. Exactly right, and that's uh, you know. And so, to the credit, the sponsoring organizations, you know, are are church affiliated organizations, Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that are. You know, they're, they're putting their their credibility, their name on the line. Of course, they are receiving some federal funds t- to, to do this. Yeah. Um, but uh, but there still is, you know, an issue of wanting to protect uh, the rights and the, the sensibilities of those in the in the local community. That's the number one. Right. That's the number one yep. thing government's supposed to do, protect their uh, citizenry. Right. And let me let me say something because it kind of struck me that the number seventy, eighty, whatever was very close to another number that's come up in another issue, where the governor's office has been extremely proactive. They've been uh, there was discussion at one point. Uh, I had a constituent reach out to me about it of dependents of state employees who were being cut off of um, the. Uh, employee benefits division was going to right. cut these uh, dependents off they were over 20 uh, over age 26 they had uh, some sort of disability and they had been given until the end of december uh to find other insurance now in a lot of cases some of these people these uh, uh children uh already had medicaid or medicare um but there were some that were being left in the gap. And so uh, public health committee took the issue up later on uh, representative Ladyman and myself spoke, spoke with Amy Fetcher with the, the transformation office. Mm-hmm. And the day that we spoke with her, uh, I got a phone call. We talked to her probably around one o'clock of the afternoon, got a phone call by five o'clock that the governor's office had rescinded that action and that those individuals are still going to be covered uh, one thing that the, the families are being asked to do is if you're Medicaid eligible uh, or you already you have apply. that, or you already have that, right. present that card first, uh, either the Medicaid or the Medicare, and then the private insurance plan that, say, through Medicaid expansion, do that on down the line. And uh, so anyway, the governor's office was extreme, as they usually are on a lot of issues, very responsive. I, I got a great response about my wish to get background information on the decision about the refugees, but it wasn't proactive. And that's one of the things, that, one of the messages I hope that we're able to put out there is that it really would help us if we know beforehand um, what is going on. So we have answers. Yeah. Well, I, 
definitely can understand that. I was telling you guys during a break, what, one thing I hated when I was in management in radio, now I'm, I just do my show, which I'm more than happy to be doing my show and not having all the other headaches that went around right. with management. But the last thing I wanted to do was walk into this, this station in the morning and be called to the GM's office and asked, why did this happen? Right. And no one who was involved with what happened called me to tell me that it happened. Yeah. And so I was blindsided by it. And, uh, you know, my answer to the GM was, first time I've heard about it. Mm-hmm. Well, how is it just the first time you've heard about it? Well, they got to call me. Well, why didn't they? I don't have answers to that. I can't. I can't get in their minds, right. all right? Yeah. I'm sure it was that they were embarrassed or they knew that maybe their job could be on the line or whatever. But the bottom line was I wasn't notified. Right, yeah. That typically didn't go over well with the GM. <laughs> no, it you know, doesn't. It doesn't, you yeah. know, and it doesn't go over well with a constituent. If you say to them, hey, look, I this first I've heard of it, I will find out and get back to you. And you know what they're thinking? What are you being paid for? Right. You know? Right. Well, and, and you know, I, I didn't, I mentioned I didn't get any phone calls on yeah. the refugee issue. Uh, and it usually does, you know, it, it helps, puts me in a good stead if someone tells me something that I didn't know and I tell them I'm going to look into it, I'll call you back, and then I call them back. Yeah. And they actually, I think, give me even more credit because I was responsive to go to the effort of calling them back. Right. But it's still better if we're informed ahead, yeah, of, absolutely. ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right, State Representative Mark Lowry is with us. Phone line's open if you want to get involved, 823-0965. I need to keep repeating that now, 823-0965. If you got a question, feel free to call in. When we come back to do our last segment, there's another topic that I'd like to bring out, and you're going to hear more about this uh, during the upcoming months of 2020, and that is the half-cent sales tax that they want to vote on uh, coming up in November. Uh, you know where I'm at. We'll find out where the state representative is at when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, remember, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show is 101.1 FM, The Answer. Dave Ellswick Show with you. Last segment with... Uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. Tomorrow, it's a Friday fun show. Two o'clock, we're going to have uh, uh, Ed Monk in, and we're going to talk about the church shootings that happened in Texas. He's an instructor for concealed carry. He's been on the show many times talking about what to do and what not to do in an active shooter case. We'll talk about what happened at the church and what churches should be doing to protect themselves. Plus, uh, Tim Lim... Shane Stacks and uh, Mark Pellegrini will come on and we'll talk about the 10 best movies of 2019 and what we're looking forward to in 2020. So that's coming up tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, let's get back with uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. And I kind of led into this into the break, and that is the half-cent sales tax that will be voted on come uh, Election Day in November of this year. And uh, I'm going to vote against it. And the reason I'm going to vote against it, number one, we have to come up with a different way to fund our highways. I want to know that the highways are more under control uh, from uh, the the people who are in charge of building the highways. And last but not least, 
I don't want any tax added to the state constitution. How do you feel about this? Well, I, I agree with that. Now, I, during the break, I was trying to double-check myself. I, I'm fairly sure that I did vote to refer this to the voters. I, okay. I feel like it's, you know, it's. I'm not going to stand in the way of, of the voters of Arkansas being able to decide whether they want to tax themselves or whatever. But I agree with you that I don't think that tax should be placed. And, and it, the way it's worded, it's going to be indefinite. Uh, and can be raised the right, way that it's written and to in put there. it in the Constitution. So I would, I will be voting no on that as well. Okay, uh, I voted against the motor fuel, the motor, uh, the fuel tax and yes. diesel tax increase. My main argument on voting against that was that in, in the city of Maumelle, we just, uh, you may know the the new extension, correct? Uh, the uh, White Oak Crossing extension. Uh, the people of Maumelle voted themselves a half-cent sales tax to pay for the bridge, for the, uh, uh, the infrastructure there. Uh, they had voted for a millage to actually improve uh, that roadway. And so I felt like the, the people of Maumelle had, had stepped up themselves and voted them extra taxes to pay for their main highway need. And I didn't think it was correct, and I actually – went before the city council to explain to them my motivation for voting against that that increase. Um, I think the, the point that you made uh, also of something that's going to be indefinite, and if you put in the Constitution, pretty much it's going to be permanent, uh, but not really being – not dealing with the independence of the Department of Transportation, uh, mm-hmm. not getting – uh, and we've added in some accountability measures in terms of a subcommittee that gets reports, but there's still not enough oversight. The legislature has little to no oversight of the highway department and the decisions that they make on where they're going to spend the money uh, around the state. And, uh, you know, that's that's a process that is uh, sometimes fraught with political pressures that have uh, – not as much to do with need as it does with who who's uh, the squeaky wheel that needs to be greased. Right. And uh, so I, I'm very, you know, very concerned about putting even more, more money in their hands. Now, having said that, uh, one thing about any highway funding is that we do get a three to one match from the feds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably one of the most of, uh, efficient, I guess, ways to raise money. But as you've said, uh, we've really got to look at the the whole mechanism of, of tying a tax to the cost of fuel and, you know, cars becoming more efficient, uh, uh, gas costs, especially if you're doing it as a percentage of what you pay on fuel, that share is dropping. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're really not getting on top of this, of recognizing that we have to have a new funding mechanism. Look, Barnett was the first one a decade ago who was saying that if you're out buying batteries and tires and things of that nature, the taxes on those items should be directed towards the roads. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm really behind that. And then State Representative Mayberry, right. Julie Mayberry, brought that up again in the last legislative session, and, uh, it, and it got killed. Right. But it, I supported her on yeah, that. I, I, know I agree with that completely. And. Yeah. Is it is there an appetite to do that, or is it that uh, you know the governor has his plan, and so everybody who's a Republican feels like kind of they gotta get behind the governor? 
or is that are we moving away from that a little bit well i you know i think when at the point that she brought that up in the legislative session there were some that saw that as uh, as obstructionist maybe to the other issues that were being pushed the increase in the motor fuel tax right. the diesel uh referring to the voters and that you know there was concern that plus you've got other constituency groups that see those taxes yeah as keeping the, their programs it, yeah, going exactly you know whether it's schools or whether it's local municipalities it's like you know they see that as their money right you don't have any right to touch that don't come after that uh but again any money that would be derived from uh the the, the cost or the taxes on batteries tires whatever if you earmark it for highways then you're going to get a federal match yeah i mean once you get to 50 million then you're going to get a three three to one match let me tell you what it don't take long with a tax to get to 50 million no it doesn't right and there's none of those kinds of tripling effects when that money just goes to municipalities or to schools so it's probably the most efficient and effective use of taxes on those particular and they are tied to transportation you know what bothered me most about that, Mark, is that I asked uh, a question of a committee chairman if they could give me a list of where that money was going, and they could not. Now, that that's worrisome when it, I It is. That. That's why I'm kind of being vague about, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I you don't, don't know. know where it goes. I, I don't know whether it's going to municipalities and turn back funds or whether it's going to school districts. I, right. I have a feeling... Well, I I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you'd be guessing. You might, I would might be, be a and, good I'm, guess, and I'm usually pretty good about crunching these things. I will tell you one thing: if it's the school people complaining about they're going to lose a share of it, they need to talk to their superintendents about the two billion dollars that are sitting in banks not being spent. Boy, we've talked about this. Yeah, but it that's fires, important for people to understand that 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 money is just sitting there. Yeah. And uh, could be used by the school districts. Right. And they don't want to touch it. No. The, it, it, when I first started asking about it, their response was, well, we're saving up for a rainy day. Yeah. And when and when I told them and I pulled out a list telling me what the reading at grade level percentage was for their school district, I went, let's see, your district's only 30% reading at grade level. Wouldn't you say it's not just raining, it's storming? They realized they weren't going to, I wasn't going to go away by them patting me on the head with that, you know, inane answer. And uh, so anyway, but there's other things that, uh, that we're going to, I'm going to be looking at in this, probably an interim study, uh, $500 million a year is raised in property millages tied to debt service. Right. But only 45% of that is being used to retire their debt. The other 55%, in other words, over $250 million, they're able to put into their operating funds. All right. That's a problem. So Just it saying, is. That's a problem. Yeah. All right. Quickly, let's get a caller in here. Doug is in North Little Rock. Hey, Doug, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM. I also plan to vote against this extension of the half percent sales tax, and, and I'm coming up with an alternative. Okay. Uh, the billboards that are up and down our highways and city streets and whatnot are completely exempt from any sales tax on the revenue that they generate. Some of those billboards rent for like $4,000 a month, and there's not a penny sales tax uh, coming off of that revenue. And I would suggest that they eliminate that sales tax exemption on billboards and direct it to uh, construction and maintenance of uh, roads and bridges in the state. 
That's that's a, a logical statewide. Uh, issue. I would like to know how much is spent on outdoor advertising. And there's not a penny of it that's dedicated to uh, maintenance on our roads because it's all exempt from right. uh, sales tax revenue. If I remember correctly, there was an attempt several terms, several sessions back to tax based on the revenue generated by that billboard. And so the yeah, pushback was... you can was, imagine what happens when someone is threatened with having their sales yeah. tax exemption removed. You know, there's an, there's another one. Uh, that's the problem with Arkansas sales tax, because there's so many exemptions that that, that really hurts the, the uh, revenue source. Like, for instance, if you take your pet to a groomer, the grooming service is, a, is completely subject to state, city, and county sales tax. But if you go to the barber shop or your wife goes to the beauty salon to, for hairdressing, that revenue is completely exempt from all Arkansas sales taxes. It doesn't make any sense. Who said politicians make sense? Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> I would like to see a list of all the exemptions that have been granted over the years to services in this state. And, you know, because most products are subject to the sales tax and and the burden is getting bigger and bigger all the time to merchants that collect that sales tax. If you remember a couple of years ago, uh, the uh, Playtime Pizza place over in Little Rock got busted for skimming over one and a half million dollars worth of sales taxes. And their business was closed down and all their assets were were auctioned off. and, And I think they uh, got about three hundred grand in selling off all their assets, but every one of the pizza places that they competed against for those years were playing by a very unfair uh, uh, system because yeah. Playtime Pizza had a million and a half dollars that they didn't have any problem collecting when they sold a pizza, but they weren't submitting it to the state, and that that was make you know giving them a million and a half dollars of uh, tax-free money to, to play with and compete against all the other pizza places. All right, Doug, i got to let you go because we're out of time, but a great call. Good job. You're the final caller today. That's a good job. State Representative Mark Lowry, thank you for coming in. We'll have you back on here in the new year. Well, thank very you. Very short. Happy New Year to you, and thank you for inviting me to be with no you No problem. We'll be back tomorrow, 2 o'clock, right here on The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 